Hello, everybody. It's time for another episode of Thinking Beyond Conversations with Strategic Thinkers. And once again, I've got my co-host here, Joan Quintana. Howdy, Joan. Howdy, Dr. Flint. And our faithful producer, Will Walker. Howdy, Will. Howdy, David. Okay, so today is a continuation. It is. Today, once again, we have Jared Moore of Avadi Dental Labs here talking to us. But this is part two of a two-part series, and we're not talking about Avadi today. No. If for some reason you're listening to this podcast before hearing part one, that's fine. We're, we're going to talk about things that you don't need to listen to part one to know about. But I do recommend that you go back at some point and listen to part one because it's pretty interesting. Today's going to be a great conversation about distinctive competencies at the individual level and how those can position you for a really exciting adventure. Yeah. Jared's got an interesting story. Well, let's listen. Okay. So I do want to switch around here and talk about the backstory. You know, we've been talking about Avadi and how you're applying V-Real there, but, you know, you've got this really interesting backstory that has provided a backstop to you. That's what I call it. You've had this distinctive competency for a long time. Yes. And that has allowed you to be entrepreneurial, to start new endeavors, to get involved in Avadi. And I think people need to, to understand that backstory. So how did you really get started in business? Well, it's a very interesting, distinctive competency that allowed me to be entrepreneurial mm-hmm. without having to risk what others have. The very first time, yes, but essentially I, I have to start too with one distinctive competency that really comes to mind, which is luck. <laughs> I have to say I got lucky. Yeah, but, you know, I tell people, they probably will hear this on more than one podcast, but I'll say it again. You know, you're walking down the street. If you trip over a golden brick, you have to stop and pick it up. And stop <laughs> and picking it up is not luck. Finding the golden brick, maybe, but having the, the smarts to stop and pick it up, you know, okay, that's, that's not luck. Right. There was a lot of hard work. And uh, one of my friends, Dr. Nybauer, he he does a seminar for us uh, and just did one here recently. And, you know, the first thing he always starts with is work, 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 work works, you know. And so there was a lot of hard work in there. But at the same time, the timing was I I can't take credit for for being so dang lucky. You know what I mean? (laughs) It just worked out so well. And and timing was perfect. There's just there was a lot. But when you combine hard work and luck, though, amazing things can happen. So I was in college, and I had had a little country western band, and I, so I enjoyed country music, wanted a place for the band to play or something, and also wanted to meet girls. <laughs> I'm single. That, yeah. thought that would be great, and I also <laughs> wanted to make truckloads of money. <laughs> I thought, you know, if I could combine those three, yeah, now yeah, we're talking. Yeah, you don't ask for much. Right, know, and of course that's that. not going to happen. <laughs> of course, you can't fit all three of those into the same category and somehow I managed to find a way. <laughs> oh, so as as it would have it, I I uh, I I thought I would start a country western dance night. Not a club. Clubs didn't work particularly well in Provo and I'd seen that over the past timelines as I'd been there that clubs would come and go very quickly. So I wanted to stay away from the club thing. Some good clean fun country dancing. So put 20 grand on my credit cards and went to work. <laughs> Got a space one night a week so I could test it out. Minimal risk, plus filling two nights would have been a disaster. 
that's why most clubs fail is when they, they open up, they got to try and fill it all the way through. And lost money for six months. Told my buddy, hey, if, if I have to pay $300 again tonight for everyone to come dancing, I'm done. I'm going to be working 10, $10 an hour jobs to pay this off. And you know, that night we had 300 people, five to six bucks a head. And then the next week we had 350 and kept going up from there. We, we had nights as big as 780, averaged out around probably 450, 500 for a while. I did split it to two nights eventually which I knew would cannibalize some of the customers from the other night on the weekend. We did a Wednesday, Saturday. But it was necessary, I felt, for me to solidify my place in the market. I figured if I didn't start a weekend night, somebody else would. And so I did. And semi-franchised it from there. Grabbed a couple guys I knew in other college towns throughout Utah and said, hey, I know how to do this. Would you like to run it? Eventually sold it off to them, each of those other locations, and just took what I knew how to do and did it, did it again. And then eventually down the road, I took the two country dance nights and got a building, turned it into a reception hall because I need clubs just don't work. Put it in a reception hall to, I needed control of the venue eventually long term or it was a big eroding factor for me. Keeping a lease and keeping a landlord who didn't want to take my business from me type of things. So I eventually got my own space, turned it into a reception hall, uh, run weddings in there, company parties, all those kinds of things before dances. And any nights there are not dances, which is only three, three, three nights a week we do dances in there. And yeah, so there I was with this sweet little business, Cash Cow, working a couple nights a week. I got really lucky. And it's, it's interesting to me how this distinctive competency where you're creating value and it's really rare probably won't work in almost anywhere else. No, it's very specific to the market that I'm in there. Yeah. It has a few factors that, you know, I understood well and knew I could make it work. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's important to point out that it's a distinctive competency for me in entrepreneurship, which we should probably talk about here in a little bit. But but first we should define, you got to understand your market um, in order to make this work. In my market, it worked. In others, it probably won't. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because of the culture. Right. If you understand anything about Utah... It is Mormon central. (laughs) Lots of Mormons in Utah and Mormons don't drink. So this dance night, Mormons for the most part are really fun, loving, get out and have some fun people, but they don't drink. So they still want to get out and have fun. And and it provided an opportunity for college students, about 60,000 of them between the two universities in Provo, to come out and have a great time in an environment where they were very comfortable, no alcohol. And it provided that. And... You know, I, I have actually had people call me over the years and say, I want to do one of these here or there. And it's like, that's going to be tough. You can try it. And, and one in Arizona had minor success. I'm not even sure if it still runs. But that was a very, yeah, it's not going to work anywhere else. <laughs> it was a big factor. It's a big factor. <laughs> and besides that, even in the, the local area, you had several things that meant that others could not just come up and do what you were doing. Yeah, Finding a space down there um, with sufficient parking and such without building your own is very, very difficult to find. Almost doesn't exist. I searched. I mean, I had the idea and I searched high and low for well over a year before I even found a venue. I searched for a year and finally found a place I could rent one night a week. And then that had its other problems with eroding factors of leases and everything else and being able to maintain that same one night without having my own space. So if someone wants to compete, they got to go out and get a building full-time, fill it with either a reception hall or a club or something, and then 
try and pull the crowd. And if you don't pull all the crowd at once, they're going to go where the people are. And people have tried over the years and it just doesn't work. It's, it's too hard to market that wide and take that many customers all at once. It just hasn't happened. So. And you've got the established brand. Everybody knows where you are. Right. It's been there so long now that anyone who's ever tried to compete has never gained any traction. They just, you know, they throw a dance the same night and it's dead. It just the brand, the strength, the location, the consistency. It's been there for so long that we have, you know, a real distinctive competency in our in our brand, really, I guess you could say. So you've had this as a backstop. Yes. And you've had this income coming in consistently year after year after year after year. <laughs> and that just simply allows you to think about doing other things. And that's not true for most people. No, I mean, you're giggling and I'm smiling over here because it's so rare. <laughs> and I got so lucky that I think it is a little deceptive for people that want to be an entrepreneur that know me. They, they come to me and say, hey, I have this idea and this is what I want to do. And I don't discourage them in any way because absolutely they can do exactly what I did. However, because I got lucky the first time, I had this distinctive competency for me to continue in entrepreneurship and explore other avenues. And, you know, I tell them all the time, you go ahead and give that a shot, but it's going to be tough. And here's why you're working a job and you're going to get to the point where this, you know, they say, first of all, I'm going to do this on the side. And it's really hard to come home from work and want to go work more. Plus we talked about selling and stuff earlier and work, work, work to get a lot of them started. It's a full-time job. It really is requires most of your attention to really be dedicated and get something done. So on the side's tough, not that it can't happen, but then you get to a point where this side job is paying a little bit, but is paying enough for you to quit your job and go at it full time. Probably not. And there's a very distinctive decision-making point where if you jump in with both feet, yeah, it could go, but it could also tank. And are you willing to take that risk? And that risk is high. And, and that scares a lot of people away. My dad and his buddy, call that job the golden handcuffs because they just keep you tied up, you know? And and not that you shouldn't try and break out or do it, but based off my story, it's not fair to say, yeah, go do it because I had that distinctive competency that enabled me to go out and continue. And it was kind of an unfair advantage, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, there's nothing unfair about it. Not true, true. <laughs> not an unfair advantage, but unfair to compare... Unfair to compare. ...to that because it's a completely different circumstance and I wasn't risking my family, my house, and everything else because I had this residual income that required very little effort at that point. And so that allowed you to do other things, like what? Yes. So, I mean, I was working one or two nights a week at the most. And so I, during the day, I started working on an online retail business. I had had an entrepreneurship class that Paul Allen, the founder of MyFamily.com, had come in and talked to us for two weeks, told us all about the internet and how you could crunch the numbers and see conversion rates and know exactly how much you're going to sell and how much it's going to cost you to get that business. And it's fantastic. So I put that to work. Well, first I decided I wanted to put that to work. And then I went looking for a product to sell. And this is before the internet is what it is today. Yeah. Doing this now is not really as plausible because getting keywords from the big guys at a reasonable cost is dang near impossible with pay-per-click and things like that. Organic does work, but it takes forever. Finding the product was tough. 
I did not, and I did not want to risk a ton of capital and buying products that I wasn't even sure if I could sell. Out there doing keyword research, trying to find a product. And I found a product. I had known a guy and I looked him up and I thought, man, that, that's actually a pretty good product. I knew a guy that had owned a business manufacturing. They didn't have any online presence. They shipped stuff already. And I went to them and said, hey, could we sell your product online? Be a distributor for you guys, just like your stores, but online. Yeah, sure. Will you drop ship for us? <laughs> so I don't have to buy the image. Sure, why not? Okay, we'll pay you to drop ship a little extra. Fantastic. Now I can focus on what I'm good at, marketing. And I had a business partner. He understood the the design side uh, very well. I understood the back end side very well. It was a good team effort. And we went out and put these products online. And it was it was awesome. The first month we sold like 300 bucks worth of stuff. We're like, wow, that's cool. We actually sold something. How do we sell something that quickly? Like the visibility of the internet's amazing. And then uh, the next month, 3000 I think. And then the next month, 5000 And then Christmas kicked in over three weeks, so like $20,000 worth of stuff. And, you know, I was like, wow, that was amazing. That was easy. We must have got lucky, <laughs> which we did. Once again, found the perfect product, and we were able to penetrate the market very quickly because of the keywords. Um, but part of that, we recognized that their products were all named artistically and not descriptively. So... They didn't have any traction in any keywords online, even though they did have a small web presence. Only people that knew about their company could find it. So we renamed every single one of the hundreds of products, and we named them descriptive according to size and color, and wrote three-page product descriptions and content, and you know, before we knew it, it was, it was cruising. Um, about a year in, my business partner had some stuff come up where he needed to exit, so he did and, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to buy him out at the time. Probably should have, you know, hindsight. It was a great little business, but we sold it. We sold it for a nice little chunk, and I decided to find another product to throw online again. And in that process, a buddy of mine brought me the dental opportunity and said, what do you think about this industry? And, oh, wow, look at all that fragmentation. That could be fun. <laughs> and off we went. Uh-huh. And you still have some online business that you're doing? I do. Along the way, I had a few just call it insider knowledge on some products that I, I knew a lot about, thought they might sell online, but the, the scope of them wasn't going to go very broad. It was going to stay fairly limited, but I thought, hey, they could work. So I took my knowledge on those products, took what I knew about the internet, threw them on there, and that was probably, I don't know, probably 10 years ago that I threw the first ones on there. And uh, they're pretty niche, but they still sell on my own website, on Amazon, on eBay, any other marketplaces that seem to make sense. And it's it's the type of product that I can just buy in bulk. So I order about 3,000 of them a year, and I put them in the basement of the dance hall slash reception hall, and then, you know, let that guy manage all that as well. So another little enabling factor there that I already had somebody managing that stuff that could just handle that as well. And yeah, got got lucky again. <laughs> There's a theme here. I know. Yeah. A little bit of knowledge and hard work paired with some luck goes a long ways. And having that that distinctive competency of that ongoing income coming yes. in that is going to be there. It's going to be difficult for anybody to erode that away. I mean, that's just allowed you to do these things. Yes. And as we talked about before, my personal distinctive competency as well of being able to recognize opportunities when I saw them, I knew I could do it, didn't hesitate, and jumped on it because I was enabled by the first one that you talked about. 
But those two distinctive competencies paired together allowed me to take advantage of some small opportunities that provided some long-term residual income that allowed me to, you know, then at that time, after I'd done a couple others, dive full into that dental company that was going to take some significant investment and a whole lot of time and effort because it was on a lot bigger scale than anything I'd done previously in an industry I knew nothing about, but saw some really big needs in the service and, you know, those types of areas. And yeah, I mean, but to be fair, that distinctive competency needs to be recognized so that other people don't dive in thinking that it's as easy as it was or not as risky as it was because I had backup, like you said, my backstop. It was, it was a huge enabling factor that allowed me to do without nearly the same amount of risk as, as other people. So the guys that have done it on their own without that backstop have done a lot more than I have (laughs) and risked a lot more than I have to make theirs go. So what do you tell people who come to you with their ideas if you build it they will come (laughs) oh that's such a lie right (laughs) the biggest crock of all time if you learn to be an entrepreneur from field of dreams my guess is you're not entrepreneuring anymore (laughs) because it doesn't work if you build it they will not come unless you go out and drag them Uh, but but seriously i mean what do you what do you tell people who come to you i mean i know that you've got different ideas that come your way all the time because you've been successful and people float ideas. Yes, all the time, all the time. And to be honest, I come back to V-Real most of the time because they understand it and it helps them see where their ideas are flawed sometimes. Other times they think their product is just so great that it's its own distinctive competency and they don't recognize the fact that other products are just as good. Example, I've had several friends over the last five, six, seven years leave programming and tech jobs to go out and go out on their own. And they're not sales guys, they're programmers, but they think if I build it, they will come. (laughs) Got to get it in front of people and you got to be able to sell it. So there's there's more to it than just having a great product, you know, if, if, especially if there's a switchover involved or anything like that, even if it's the best product on the market, you still have to be able to sell it. So, you know, I had one buddy build something and say, look how awesome this is. Oh, that is awesome. But everything else I've seen that compares is just as awesome. And the reality is they don't have the enabler that you had. Right. Yeah. And they don't even think about enabling factors like needing to do marketing and sales and, and all of that. Exactly. And, you know, the one friend, he had a really great looking product and thought that that was a distinctive competency. And maybe it could have been over time, but he couldn't weather the storm because he didn't have the enabling factor like I did of some some other residual income already. He just quit his job and went to work, which I applaud him for because I wasn't brave enough to do that. I didn't have a job in college when I... <laughs> I was in between. It just quit to do a f- another full semester. And, and so, I mean, I applaud them for taking the risk. But I think it's important when people come to me with those kinds of things to be able to give them constructive feedback so it's not just my opinion. I can ask them the difficult questions. Is it rare? Is there real value there? And, you know, one of my really good buddies and I just have had intense conversations about something he's working on, brainstorming back and forth with him, trying to help him through it. And I I took the V-Reel specifically, and we both agree he has something extremely rare and tons of value there. But the really important piece that we had both discussed, the, you know, the difference for him between price and volume, if you will. And basically, V-Reel really helped to clarify that 
the true value in his venture is not in the profit margin. The real value for him is in the network. If he lowers the profit margin and gets everyone in that network on board because it's a no-brainer because he has very, very, very little margin, then he has something rare and of value because he was able to penetrate the market very very quickly and effectively. And, and he gets a big network effect out of it. Yeah. Yes, yes. That network effect is so important in this particular thing. But in starting a business, cash flow is also very important. And so the one guy that he had talked to in the industry said, don't sell it for too cheap. If it does what you says it can do, then you need to raise the price because everyone will buy it anyways. Well, he says that as a business owner who wants it. But if the price is high, the switch over and all that is going to be difficult. And so he and I both agreed that, yes, there's definite value on the table that you don't want to leave. You don't want to give it away for free, but you definitely need to capture a little bit of value there. But, but don't lose sight of the big picture where the true inherent value of your proposition comes from, which is the network. So keep that price low and go after it. So in, in discussing that, it was, it was great for us to see that, yes, there's value there. Yes, it's rare, but it's more rare with the network. And that's where you need to focus your time attention and energy and keep that goal in mind and don't lose sight of it. Otherwise, everybody else can do exactly what you did. So in, in implying V-Real to all of my friends that come to me all the time and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? It's very beneficial for them and for me. And I think it's important to look at V-Real and understand that it's a little bit more than just a strategy tool. It is an ideology almost that as you get it in your brain, you know what I mean? And you start to look at things and opportunities. If it's in your mind there, the, the first question you ask yourself is, where's the value? Is it rare? Right? You start to, it's fun for me to look back and see that I knew this was a good opportunity. I didn't realize it was such a good opportunity because it was rare. I just intuitively knew that it was going to work. But looking back, I can say, well, heck yes, it was going to work. It was rare and there was tons of value there. So I can see the whys in it. So it helps me evaluate the past, the present and the future. But when I say ideology, it's because I think you need to apply V-Real not only to your business, but your yourself and your employees and see. It'll just help you to understand where value truly is and where you need to focus your time and attention, whether that's personal or for business. Which brings me to a little discussion here as we're drawing to a close about you. And you have this you know, ability to be creative and entrepreneurial and spot opportunities and everything. But that can be an eroding factor. Yes. Yes. It erodes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make sure that the fact that you can always see the next thing doesn't become an eroding factor against what you're already doing? Great question. I mean, let's go back to the dance business, for example. When I was in there running it, that thing was hopping, you know? The first time I tried to find someone to run it for me, it did not work out. And the second time, once again, it did not work out. I went through a couple different people till I found the right guy to enable that business to survive without me. So I needed a big time enabler there to be able to focus on something else fully, you know, because I was always fairly involved in it for at least five years or so, six years. And that enabling factor then allowed me to go on to the dental business. And it's important to recognize that my distinctive competency can also be an eroding factor. You know, just like in the dental business, as we discussed, some of those eroding factors, if we could perfect them, will be very distinctive competencies. So it goes both ways. And 
you know, now in the dental business, for example, we see opportunities all the time come through our door. You know, doctors are always asking us, do you guys do removables, dentures, uh, flippers, those types of things, which we do not anymore because <laughs> we tried. It was, seemed like such a great opportunity because everybody wanted us to do removables because we do fixed so well. So they thought, man, if I could get these guys to do removables, I'd be set. So we tried and we had some success at it, but it was very difficult to find the right people. Uh, it was very difficult to manage the turnarounds. And that sometimes was distracting from, you know, we have a driver out doing a removable run because it has to be done right now. The turnaround on it's very quick. Well, we need a driver to deliver all the other stuff. You know, it was cutting in to some of our people's time and stuff. And it, it wasn't complementing. It was eroding. It was not an enabler for more success. It seemed to be eroding a little bit of our ability to deliver on the other end. And we eventually just decided, you know what? Let's go back to our hedgehog concept here. Let's stick to what we're good at. That's from good to great, in case you haven't read it. You know, hedgehog be the best in the world at what you do. And that's kind of tough because one of my distinctive competencies is spotting opportunities. And, you know, we just had one pop up in the dental lab again on, on a, distrib a distribution type of thing. And my business partner, being very wise, looked at me and said, well, that is a great opportunity. But what about this opportunity of being the best in the world at what we do now? Which is very wise. Not to say you shouldn't take other opportunities when they present themselves, but if it's going to be a huge distraction from what you're currently doing, that can be a huge eroding factor. And it needs to be considered and weighed heavily before you make decisions. And I can see, you know, over the years talking to you and everything, I can see where that's been a struggle at yeah. times for you. Yeah. You know, I'm doing the dance business and the online business and in the middle of the online business and something else cool comes along. So there's another little online business and, you know, then the dental thing comes along. And, and, and on the dental side of things, one thing I've done to help enable is find the right people to manage because I am not a great manager. I'm really good at getting in to processes and finding out how we can do things better. Then we set up systems and whatnot to enable those processes. And the follow-up for me is difficult because sometimes I'm on the next process diving into that wholeheartedly and I forget to go back and follow up on the last one to make sure it's being done properly. <clears throat> so finding the right people to complement my weaknesses uh, has been a very key enabler for me, especially in the dental company, as I go through and take each department as my next project so that I can keep my creativity and my ability to spot opportunities within each department to be better and to find ways for us to be more efficient and bring more quality as I go from department to department to process to process really helps to utilize my distinctive competency and then find someone else to enable where I'm weak. Yeah, it's a good strategy to put those pieces of human capital around you right? to enable you to then be able to play to your strength and your distinctive competency, yeah. And I feel like people should take V-Real and use it not just to evaluate their company that they're starting or one that they've had for forever. It needs to become a little bit more <clears throat> of a thought process. Just, you know, if you're in business, V-Real can be extremely valuable to you on a personal level, on a company level, on a vision level of strategy and where you want to be. And I have been able to use it across the board. You know, when friends come to me, like we've talked about, looking at my past companies and saying, hey, how's that one doing? Is there, are there any eroding factors that I need to look at? Because I haven't, I haven't done anything with that one for a while. And he's managing it fine. It's still going, but is there a train coming? <laughs> so, okay, as we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to talk about or any lingering questions or anything that's, 
coming to mind? I always like to to ask anybody I'm talking to if I've missed something. You know, I I would just like to say don't take what I have said as the rule of law because you know what free advice is worth. <laughs> but I would hope that people could look at what I've done and say, okay, I don't I don't want to jump into this blindfolded. I need to understand the risks. I need to understand the strengths of my arguments and my propositions so they can make really educated decisions. So applying V-Real will help them analyze where they're strong and where they're weak, whether or not they actually have something to reduce that risk. And I think as people do that, you know, the, the percentage of businesses that fail within the first five years is very, very, very high. And I think if a lot of them could look outside themselves get some good advice, find someone who's done what you want to do and go talk to them. But at the same time, don't be discouraged. Because, you know, heard the story of this guy at Harvard who wrote this paper on what he wanted to build and his professor looked at it and said, yeah, right. He decided to start FedEx anyways. <laughs> and, you know, those types of things don't, I don't want to be a discouragement for anyone who has big dreams because... Absolutely. If you can build it, you probably should. But just know that if you build it, they're not going to come. You're going to have a lot of hard work ahead of you. So I don't want to be a discouragement. I want to be encouraging to people that want to get out there and do this kind of thing. And that's the whole point of this. If you take V-Real as a tool and really use it objectively, and then go talk to your buddies who have done what you want to do and say, what am I missing here? Because this seems too easy. Or, you know, where am I blind? Help help me to apply V-Real to myself and my idea you'll guard yourself against any pitfalls and not that you won't make mistakes but attacking this with that entrepreneurial spirit and motivation is fantastic but most people that do it fail so if you really want to succeed approach it from this perspective keep keep that dream alive but be realistic and then once you understand it weigh your options and then go for it and i feel like that's a lot healthier approach than what you often see well, I have this great recipe. I'm starting a restaurant. There's a lot more to that than having just one great recipe, and people need to understand that. And I think ViewReel is the greatest, greatest tool and strategy that I have seen because all the others are so complex. And when people talk to me about strategy, I get a little overwhelmed. Oh man, that's just that's like a month planning process. When if you keep it on the top of your mind as you're making decisions throughout, it can really simplify strategy and help you focus on you know, your best opportunities and your biggest eroding factors so that you know where to know where to spend your time and energy. It'd be a really good tool for identifying. So Yeah, so I guess that's that's where I would finish up is go out, go get it, be all you can be. You've got that dream. Go get it, but be realistic. It's important to remember to take your time, do your homework, and be realistic about what you have. And did you say be realistic or did you say be realistic? <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah, oh. it's bad. No, that's awesome. <laughs> Are you be realistic? <laughs> Are you be realistic? Wait, how do you say that? How do you say, how do you add an ING to that? Be really? Be really? Be, be really? realistically? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible, but I like it because I'll remember it now. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no, that's great. I like it. That's a good pun to end on. All right. Okay, so I want to say thanks for, for coming in and, and having this conversation. And it's been good. I'm sure we're going to have more conversations. Maybe not on the podcast, but I'm sure we're going to have more conversations. Always talking business and strategy is 
awesome and a great time. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of more conversations to come. Okay. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks. Looking forward to the, the next one. Okay. Bye. Well, that conversation was a great continuation of a previous really good one. Yeah. You know, Jared's story is impressive to me in several different ways. Not just that he has that incredible distinctive competency that he created something like 15 years ago and is just sitting out there being an enabler for his other entrepreneurial activities. But because of the fact that he, he keeps coming up with new ideas and he knows things about himself to protect himself from himself. So yeah, we talk about, sometimes we talk about people being serial entrepreneurs and they, they can't help themselves. They just have to start that new business. And, and it really does seem like Jared does a great job of kind of reining himself in and recognizing that, no, this needs my focus right now. But not only that, he, he acknowledges sort of applying the V-roll to himself at the individual level. He acknowledges that there's just some things that are an eroding factor for him. He said, I'm not a good manager. And recognizing that so that you can enable your operations with a good manager, if that's not your thing, I think shows a lot of insight. Yeah, he could very easily fall victim to what happens to some people who are very creative and they're very bright. But as I like to say, they they chase too many rabbits. And he is working to not do that. The other thing that I think he readily acknowledges is the fact that he was in the right place at the right time about 15 years ago to get into that first business, which didn't look like it was going to work at first, but it has put him in a position where he can take risks that many other people can't take. He's in a place where he can consider learning new skills, taking on new challenges, and he's got a financial backstop and he's got that distinctive competency behind that financial backstop that let's face it not many people get in this this world yeah it's really true a lot of entrepreneurs out there and even executives who are trying to launch a new product or something in an existing industry don't have that resource that allows them to take the risk and i think that that's probably a big factor in why a lot of businesses fail. They don't have enough time. That's the longevity question. You know, do you have enough time or can you bring in resources or actually generate revenue quickly enough, right? So that that longevity question becomes really important. And, and for, in Jared's case, because he has that key enabler of an income that he can count on, he has more time to make a business work. And that's just simply not normally the case. Inside conversations on the podcast that I had with Jared, you know, he he doesn't forget about that business in terms of thinking in a V-real way about it. He does go back and pay attention to see if there are any eroding factors popping up that he should be dealing with or thinking about or that could somehow or other change that position. So it's not like he's just forgotten about it either. No, he's he's very aware about that all the time. Yeah, it seems like Jared, the, the V-Roll thing has really kind of taken over his gray matter and he thinks this way all the time, like so many of us do who have been around it for any length of time. It really does affect your thinking for the better. And one of the things I appreciated is, is Jared's observation that v Real makes strategy easy when it so often feels really difficult 
And not that you don't need to think hard, but using V-Roll at the individual level to kind of think through your own distinctive competencies and eroding and enabling factors over time, that's a great thing. And then, of course, turning around and applying that in the business setting. And Jared does that really well. And I think there's been a lot of good good insights here for our listeners. And I do want to say that in using the V-Roll framework, it's not so much that it's going to provide you all of the perfect answers, but it's going to help you ask the right questions so that you can go out there and try and get the right answers. Exactly. Exactly. It's really useful that way. So if you want to learn more and get some more insights into this V-Roll framework, you can look up Dr. David Flint at drdavidflint.com. You can find the book at Amazon and all your other favorite online booksellers. You can read more there. The book is Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win. You can also get little tidbits about that if you follow Dr. Flint, Dr. David Flint at Facebook and on Twitter and just get more information so you too can have this infect your gray matter. (laughs) It's a good idea. (laughs) Well, until our next conversation with a strategic thinker, for all of you who are listening out there, I hope you are getting something out of these podcasts. And until we meet again on a podcast, keep thinking.